Thank you for joining IRW Coffee Break. This is a podcast series hosted by KPMG IRW specialists within the Washington National Tax Practice to discuss current topics in the field of information reporting and withholding. Every episode will discuss a discrete area of interest in a brief segment. So we invite you to grab a cup of coffee or just get comfortable while we explore all things IRW. This podcast was taped prior to the signing of the infrastructure bill by President Biden on November 15th. Therefore, the pending legislation discussed during this podcast has now been entered into law. Welcome to IRW Coffee Break. I'm your host, Danielle Nishida, and I'm joined today by Nelson Suit, a managing director in KPMG's IRW practice, who has spent a lot of time working on broker reporting requirements and the changes to reporting for digital assets. We're here today to discuss the IRW impacts of the infrastructure bill that's pending the president's signature. Or to say that a different way, we're here to talk crypto reporting. On November 5th, the House voted to pass the Senate's draft of H.R. 3684, the Infrastructure Investment and Jobs Act, or what is commonly referred to as the Infrastructure Bill. This bill was first introduced in the House in July of this year. The bill was passed with revised language by the Senate in August and was sent back down to the House. The House has now passed the Senate's August 10th version of this bill, and as of the time of the taping of this podcast, the bill is proceeding to the president for signing. What does all of this mean to the IRW industry? This legislation is newsworthy because this is the bill that contained the proposed rules regarding the reporting of digital assets. That means we're a mere signature away from new rules governing the reporting on crypto. Specifically, the legislation modifies Section 6045 to require broker reporting with respect to digital assets. A digital asset is defined as any digital representation of value which is recorded on a cryptographically secured distributed ledger or any similar technology as specified in regulations. This definition would include traditional cryptocurrencies as well as other crypto assets stored on a distributed ledger such as non-fungible tokens or NFTs. One of the big issues discussed prior to the passage of this bill was how broadly the definition of a broker would be expanded and whether it would end up capturing more than mere custodial entities, but other service providers such as e-wallet providers or blockchain validators. Nelson, what are your thoughts on the definition used in the bill? Who looks to be in and who looks to be out? Well, Danielle, the definition of broker in the new legislation is extremely broad. It includes as a broker any person who, for consideration, is responsible for regularly providing any service, effectuating transfers of digital assets on behalf of another person. The main target, at least according to the Senate debate of the bill in August, is centralized crypto exchanges. The new provisions will require them to report on sales of cryptocurrency and other digital assets by their customers, much as brokers currently report the sale of stocks and securities. We also understand that the Treasury is interested in obtaining tax reporting from decentralized exchanges, that is, peer-to-peer marketplaces. But as you can guess, that's a much harder form to regulate. That is a difficult issue since information reporting regimes have traditionally relied on financial or other intermediaries to conduct reporting. But decentralized markets by design are attempt to avoid a central intermediary, so there really is no ideal party to serve as a broker and perform the reporting. That also causes the reporting to now be imposed on parties that likely have not had any reporting obligations previously and do not have systems set up to accommodate the classification and reporting requirements necessary. Yes, that that will definitely be, be a challenge. As to who is out, it seems that blockchain validators and maybe pure hardware and software wallet providers that don't provide any other service may be out of scope. They were singled out in a carvel amendment during the Senate debate in August. And though the amendment didn't pass due to some procedural rules, it appeared that it had the support of Treasury, 
But there are a lot of other players in the digital asset space that may be somewhere in between, and we may need to see Treasury's release of regulations to better understand who will finally be in scope and who, who will be out. The proof, as they say, is in the pudding, or in this case, in the regulations. And that's a good point. Even though we have final legislation, or we expect to once it's assigned, this isn't over. There is a whole regulatory process pending. And so if you are representing an entity that you believe should have been carved out, you want to make sure that you are continuing to provide comments to Treasury because they are now going to begin working on those regulations. Exactly. Okay, and shifting gears, what about cost basis reporting? Are digital assets in or out of scope for cost basis reporting under this legislation? Cost basis is in scope for digital assets. What this means is that brokers will need not only to report on sales of digital assets, but a customer's gain or loss and whether it is long-term or short-term gain or loss. They will need to maintain customer cost basis for each lot purchased or otherwise acquired. That is, for digital assets acquired on or after January 1, 2023, according to the new legislation. So for a time, you could have some holdings of digital assets that are what they call cover securities, subject to cost basis rules, and some holdings, those purchased prior to 2023, that may not be subject to cost basis reporting. Since digital currencies are in scope for cost basis reporting, what happens when those assets are transferred from one exchange to another or to a private wallet? That's a good question. Because cost basis is in, the legislation also requires brokers to report on transfers of digital assets, both when assets are transferred broker to broker, as well as from broker to non-broker addresses, such as private wallets. This is intended to maintain the cost basis information on transfers. So for example, in the securities world, if I have securities in an account with broker A and I'm transferring those securities to a new account at broker B, broker A will send a transfer statement that contains information about the cost basis in my transfer securities to broker B. That allows broker B essentially to pick up the cost basis reporting going forward. And so the same transfer provisions are now applicable for digital assets. But in addition, unlike the securities world, the new legislation will also require transfer reporting where a broker transfers those digital assets out of the brokerage account into a private wallet. So that's something that will be entirely new. Thanks, Nelson. So that covers the primary changes for broker reporting, but the legislation also includes updates to Section 6050I regarding the reporting of transactions in excess of $10,000. Can you walk us through the significance of that change and who's likely to be impacted by that provision? Uh, With all the talk about the broker tax reporting for crypto assets, I think Section 6050I amendments have gotten less airplay. But this provision could actually have wide, unexpected impacts. 6050I requires a person who receives more than $10,000 in cash in a transaction as part of the person's trader business to report the transaction. The legislation amends the provisions to essentially treat digital assets as cash. There are two aspects to this provision that deserves watching. One is scope. The provision exempts certain financial institutions uh, on the theory that they would have similar reporting requirements under FinCEN rules. This includes banks, SEC registered brokers, and certain licensed money transmitters. But it could be that a number of businesses that are in the digital asset space will not fall into any of these exceptions and therefore will be caught. Second, 
it's important to keep in mind that these provisions were initially designed with cash in mind, with the expectation that there'll be a person showing up at your door with bills in hand, where you could presumably ask them for certain identification information. Transmission of digital assets can happen quicker, more frequently, and relatively anonymously. So that, that could really pose a problem in terms of complying with the 6050i provision for digital assets. Well, and I think the anonymous part is the problem. I, I think they want to change that. You know, what I also thought is interesting about this provision is if you were not following the legislation, this would be surprising because up until now, the focus has been on treating digital assets as property. And now they're being treated like cash for purposes of this reporting. I think that crossover treatment highlights the difficulties in classifying and regulating digital assets. So when are all of these provisions scheduled to go into effect? The provisions are effective for returns filed after December 31st, 2023. But for broker reporting, that will be 2024 reporting with respect to the 2023 tax year. So if we keep to the statutory schedule, systems will need to be in place to capture cost basis information by January of 2023. So that gives you maybe a little bit more than a year from now. And that's not a lot of time when we talk about system updates, which usually we're hearing require at least 18 to 24 months. Correct. Okay. And can you talk about the next steps once this bill is signed, which we would have anticipated to have happened around the time this podcast is airing? Yes. Uh, What the broker reporting provisions do is authorize Treasury to issue regulations on reporting. So I think that is something that is expected next. We know that Treasury has been working on a regulatory project under Section 6045 for a couple of years now to, to include virtual currency transactions as part of broker reporting. And presumably that project would now incorporate the Infrastructure Act amendments. There's also a proposed expansion of the wash sale rules to cover digital assets in the separate Build Back Better Act that is being considered in Congress uh, at this point. If that provision is enacted, it could also make cost basis calculations for crypto assets much harder. You know, the fact that Treasury has already been working on regulations related to the reporting of digital assets does make it possible that they may move a little quicker on these regulations because they've already been working on something. So typically we see a long delay where Treasury is issuing proposed regs and then another period in which they're finalizing. And that usually amounts to something in excess over a year. But that may not be the case here where they may have substantial portions of this already drafted and ready to go. I think that's right, Daniel. I think there's also some speculation that the language that went into legislation was informed by by Treasury and then it might have been based on what they have already thought about in, when, when they are thinking about this regulatory project. You know, one thing that is noticeably not present in the infrastructure bill or the Build Back Better bill pending in the House is any mention of reciprocal reporting of transactions in digital assets for FACA purposes. The Biden Green Book had proposed adding provisions requiring the reporting with respect to substantial foreign owners of certain passive entities that engage in transactions with respect to crypto assets through a broker, with the apparent goal being they're trying to receive corresponding reporting from their FACA partners. While it's possible this reciprocity provision could be added to later legislation, it's more likely that the FACA reciprocity provisions are being sidelined, as we've seen been the case for prior calls for FACA reciprocity under past administrations. So for now, it looks like that's not in, but, you know, we want to keep our eyes open whether that surfaces again in the future. 
So before we close, I think it's important to discuss the steps that potentially impacted parties should be taking right now. While the regulations are critical to implementing these new requirements, that does not mean that the providers of digital asset services should be idle until that is done, given that the clock is ticking now on that 2023 start date. Yeah, the first step is obviously to review and absorb the new requirements and to determine whether your organization may be impacted by this legislation. For entities that believe they may be in scope but should not be, it is important that they participate in the industry groups to provide necessary comments to Treasury and the IRS while they are working on on these regulations. I think exchanges also have to make an assessment as to what they will do for 2021 and 2022. And that's a good point. It's very interesting that the legislation contained a construction rule, which makes it clear that the changes proposed by this legislation should not be construed to imply that any person effectuating sales to digital assets was not a broker prior to this change, or that any digital asset was not property, which is a specified security for 6045 purposes. Therefore, the government does not seem to be letting the industry off the hook for any reporting required under the current rules. That's particularly noteworthy since reporting under 6045 with respect to digital assets does not seem to be the prevalent practice right now. So the legislation doesn't answer the questions as to what you do now. Exchanges will likely need to consider their own particular facts, what type of reporting, if any, they're currently doing. Some had been reporting on 1099Ks, for example, so presumably will need to transition at some point. They need to look at their particular product and service offerings, customer expectations, the cost and risk of transitioning, reporting prior to more definitive regulatory guidance, and just their own systems and technology readiness. For exchanges and other businesses engaged in crypto-related products and services, it may be a good time to do a full diagnostic of how tax information reporting rules these new ones, but also existing ones, might apply to their business. For example, beyond trading, that may be payment of incentives, staking services, or crypto lending, or even just receiving payments on crypto. These activities raise a wide range of 1099 and cross-border withholding and Form 1042S issues. And this seems an opportune time to, to do that, to think about a governance model, conduct a health assessment that identifies risks and gaps, and also begin preparing processes, procedures, and systems for these enhanced reporting obligations. I agree. Even though it'll still take us some time to get to final regulations, with 2023 looming and substantial changes that will need to be conducted to systems prior to that time, I think stakeholders really need to begin planning their process and need to be ready to provide their detailed comments to Treasury for requested guidance. And that means you have to look at what you're doing currently and what you're able to do, what is practical under the rules, and where you might need carve-outs. So that concludes our podcast today. Thank you for listening in and thank you for Nelson for joining me this week. As always, please share any feedback you have using the feedback button on the podcast homepage. We hope you can join us soon.